Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. It's a great quote from the, the, the author Thomas A. Kempis. He says, if we wish to be truly enlightened and free from all blindness of heart, let our chief effort therefore be to study the life of Jesus. And that's what we're doing here every Sunday is studying his life. And so I'm gonna do a mini series within this series. This week, I wanna talk to you about Jesus the way. Next week, I'm gonna talk to you about Jesus the truth. And then going into Easter, we're gonna speak about Jesus the life. You turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to read six verses together. I hope that you, you brought a Bible. Uh, I hope uh, if you don't have one, we'd love to grab you one at the Resource Center. You can, we've got free ones. You can purchase some nice ones. Uh, there's some in the seat back pocket for you. But, but I hope that you would, you would get a Bible, that it would be your guard and your guide in life. John 14, 1 through 6. We're going to read a passage together. If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're not there, say hold on. (laughs) John 14, verse 1 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Don't be filled with fear. Don't be troubled on the inside. Instead, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the sole way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. Without Jesus, there is no access to God Almighty. But because of Jesus, we get access. We get access. Every time you pray, it's because Jesus has made the way for that prayer. Every time you feel the presence during worship on a Sunday, it's because Jesus has opened the way for that presence to be felt by you. Salvation is because of Jesus. Restoration, because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus do we now have the authority and the access to walk in the way towards God. And that's what Jesus promised. He says, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, but I won't leave you here forever. I'm coming for you so you can be with me and with the Father. It's like what Moses said, Lord, I'll only go if you'll go with me. Because of Jesus, not only do we we get to walk this journey of life, but we get to walk it not alone, but with Jesus. He made a way where there was no way. Can you say amen? Come on, let's pray. Lord, we thank you today, Jesus, that that it's because of you that we have salvation freely offered to us, that it's because of you that our prayers are heard, it's because of you that we don't have to live in guilt and shame, it's because of you and you alone, Lord God, that we get to find a home 
for eternity. And we're so grateful, God. So I pray even today as I speak, God, may our hearts be opened, our minds receptive, ready to hear the word and ready to know you more. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Do you know that the early church weren't originally known as Christians? They were actually called followers of the way. It wasn't until months, years later that they were in Antioch where people, you know, some, some historians believe they, they were given a, div, a derisive uh, uh, title of little Christs. But Christians were like, I'll take that. That's good. Little Christ. And it wasn't until Antioch that we were known as Christians. But before that, we, we were just known. Christians were just known as saints, followers of the way. And that, that kind of title and that kind of approach has been on Christianity from that first moment all the way down through the ages. I mean, even recently in the last, the, the latest great awakening that hit our nation, um, you might know it as the Jesus movement in the 1970s. What was so awesome about that movement was like an awakening back to that word, that phrase, the way. And I don't know if you've seen Jesus Revolution, but it's a true movie, a true story, and it's in theaters right now. I'd encourage you to go see it. And it's about this revival that hit the nation, and it started in California and, uh, and Costa Mesa and San Francisco, and it, and it was a evangelism and baptism revolution, revival, that swept across the nation. And we are recipients of what God started there. I mean, even our worship, before that, there was organ and voices, that's it which I think is, it's not, it is cool. But, but the whole fact that we get to have worship like this, it came out of this revival. God did these amazing things. But one of the key parts of this revival was these young hippies that came in. And when they asked them, what are you? They would say, we're followers of the way. Followers of the way. In fact, their, their symbol was one finger pointed up. Let me see it right now. Let's just go back to the 1970s real quick. One way, one way. This was their symbol. And, you know, when I was growing up in youth ministry, the most famous song was One Way, Jesus. We went and stole one-way signs and put it up in our youth room. <laughs> God forgive us. <laughs> so this, this concept, this idea of walking in a direction, of following someone, of, of walking on a path, of 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 being a part of a journey, this idea of a way has been a part of Christianity from the very beginning, and it's a part of our Christianity right now. We are followers of the way. And, and Jesus initiated all of this when he starts talking to his disciples about a place that he has for them. And he says, I'm going there, and I'm going to prepare it just so you know. It's awesome. It's holy. It's with my Father. And, and, and Thomas, you know, he's called Doubting Thomas, but I think he's Logical Thomas. He says, Lord, if we don't even know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus makes this statement that kicks off generations of followers. He says, I am the way. I am the one that you've been searching for. He doesn't just make a way. He is the way. He is access, he is the door, he is the road, and he is the destination. He is the invitation and the first step, the beginning and the last. I am the way. But see, Thomas's question was logical. He was only asking what every other person would have asked and had asked up until that moment in all of history. Because up until Jesus came, there was no way. The way was shut. It was closed. 
It was barred. And Thomas is saying, this is how it's been historically. This is how it's been in our culture. This is how it was for my father and his father and father going back. How, how can we know the way? He was speaking out of what was because the reality is the way was shut. It was shut. Many teachers have thought and taught that they know the way to God. Speaking all the way back into ancient times to today, many people will tell you, I know the way to God. They present themselves as gurus or philosophers. They present themselves as teachers and false teachers. They present themselves as shamans. And they say, follow these certain things and you will find your way to God. Note their language. You will find your way. All you have to do, all you have to do, because see, it's on you to find your way to God. All you have to do is you have to follow my course. You have to take these six steps. You have to pay for my thing. You have to become an influencer. You have to join my group. You have to be a part of a secret society. You have to read sacred scripts. You have to, you have to go to a temple. You have to take a trek. You have to go on a pilgrimage. You, you have to go somewhere, be something, do something. You've got to ingest this thing. You've got to have this experience. You got to be with these people. These are the things you have to do if you want to find your way to God. And millions upon millions have followed these false teacher down many different paths. They say there's multiple ways to get to God. And if you just do this and just go there and just pay this and just, then you will find your way to God. But the reality is all those ways end in a dead end. And they end in a dead end because God himself has not opened those ways as pathways to him. He makes no room for these paths. He makes no room for these ways. The reality is, before Jesus, the path to salvation was blocked by the curse of sin. And only God can open it. Only God. Only God has the authority. Only God has the power. Only God has the ability to open the way that was closed because of the curse of sin. I think of the, the great modern myth, Lord of the Rings, in the, in the third book of Tolkien's masterpiece, Return of the King. You guys have to endure my Lord of the Rings stories here and there. But there's this great moment where Aragon, who's the rightful king, but he's hidden, he's in disguise, he's coming back to set the West free from the evil that, that's encroaching. But part of his journey takes him through the paths of the dead, where these people who had broken their, their, their oaths and had become cursed, they lived and they were waiting for the time that the rightful king would come and they would be set free. But the path to them was shut to everyone else. Only the king could take this path. And, and when you came before this path, <clears throat> there was the inscription that the way is shut. The dead made it and the dead keep it until the time the way is shut. And that's true. There was no way to God. And we were cursed. And the way was shut. There had to be someone with a greater authority that could come, could open the way, could redeem us from the curse, could bring us back to life. Because the reality is sin shuts the way to God. And this all happened in the garden. Happened with Adam and Eve. 
After they sinned, they hid themselves. The curse of death came on them. They were denied access to the presence of God. And Genesis 3, 24 tells us this, that he, God, drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, which is an angel, in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so in other words, sin got us kicked out of the garden and there was no way back in, none. In fact, if you notice it, that this guard didn't just guard the way back into the garden. No, it's even more specific than that. It guarded the way to the tree of life. In other words, through sin, there's only access to death. There is no way back to life. The way is shut and the return of the king is required. There has to be someone that has the authority and the ability to open the way. And so Thomas is saying, who is it? And how can we get there? And how can we follow you? What is the way? How can we know the way? And when Jesus makes this statement, it's simple, but it has astronomical implications. It is revolutionary and it is eternal. Jesus is making a declaration of who he really is, the rightful king to restore the path. He says, I am the way. I am the way. In other words, with Jesus coming, the path to God is about to be made open. You have to understand this about the work of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. The reason Jesus came is to reopen the path to God and the path to life. This is why he came. He came to fulfill what Isaiah said, that he will make a way in the wilderness. He will make streams in the desert. You say, those are impossible. No, he's coming to reorient what was to what should be. Forget the former things. Don't even consider the past. Because you say, well, there's been no one else that has ever walked this path. But someone new has come. And he's greater than the prophets. And he's greater than the kings. And he's greater than the priests. And he's greater than any man that's ever lived. Greater than David. Greater than Solomon. Greater than Abraham, greater than you or I, the king has come and he says, I am here to make a way. Where there was no way, there's going to be a supernatural way. And I just feel by the unction of God, there are some people in this place that right now you're saying, I'm up against the wall. There's no way out of this. Maybe you even feel for your life. There's no way forward in my life. There's no way forward in my business. There's no way forward for my marriage or family. I want you to please hear me. You must understand the God that you serve. He comes to reopen the way. And it is not by might. And it is not by power. And it is not by logic. It is by spirit, says the Lord. And he still does miraculous things. He breaks curses. He opens the door. And what he decides to do, no devil in hell, no authority on earth, no circumstances, no economy can stop. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And what he starts, no man can finish. He is the one that will open the way. And how does he do it? At great cost. He opens the way through crucifixion on the cross. He gives his life so that there could be the blood payment. The Bible says life is in the blood. And we know that the wages of sin is death. And so God says, I will give my life as payment so that those that deserve death get to receive life. The cross makes the way open to God. And if you know if you know anything about the cross, you know that it is a, it's a tree. 
It's made of wood. And Jesus is hung up on the cross. Jesus is the first fruits of all of creation. And so the cross really becomes our tree of life. We lost access to life in the garden. But Jesus comes to say, I'll be the tree of life. And this is why it says, but you have to partake of me. See, no one understood when he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everyone said, what are you talking about? What Jesus is saying is, I am going to be the fruit. Eve partook of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. She should not have, but I'm going to be the fruit. It is by my blood that you'll receive life. It is by my body that you'll receive healing. I will be the new tree of life. And you can only enter into life through me. The cross, the symbol of death, is the ultimate symbol of life. Leave it up to God to reverse everything. He reverses all the orders. He does however he wants to do it. And the moment of his death made way for our eternal life. Matthew 27, 51 says this. After Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit, The Bible says at that moment, at that exact moment, there was no lag time. There was no unsurety. There was nothing else happening. No, the moment of his death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, the way to God was blocked by this curtain. And the moment of Jesus's death, access to God's presence was now open. The way that was shut is now wide open access to the presence of God. So in order for you to understand the significance of this moment, the curtain being torn, I gotta give you an overview to how God and man interacted before Jesus came. See, they were, we were cut off, like I said, with Adam and Eve. And so what God did is he established a system of sacrifices in order to make man somewhat acceptable to God. He gave the Ten Commandments, he gave the law, but he also gave us a system of priests, and he gave us a temple or a tent. In that tent, there were, there were different courts that led into the Holy of Holies. And it was there that, that God's Shekinah glory, his, his presence on earth, dwelt in that temple. And it rested on the Ark of the Covenant. It rested on the mercy seat. And only once a year... Did the priest, one priest, not all priests, one man, not all men, one priest have access into the holy of holies? But he couldn't come in unless God allowed him, unless he was chosen, sanctified, because he was a sinner, and he could only come in carrying a sacrifice, carrying the blood of that sacrifice. Once a year, he walked through that curtain. Once a year, he walked to that mercy seat and he sprinkled the blood on it as payment for the sins of the whole nation. Once a year. And this in and of itself was a dangerous process because this man was unclean, being a man. Only by God's grace, he even allowed this one person in. But do you know what they had to do? They had to tie a rope with bells on it because if it started stopped jingling, that dude dead. And they just drag him out. Who's going in next year? (laughs) That was the system God set up. But you have to understand that's the earthly system. It's just a, a shadow of the real system in heaven. Like there's a real temple in heaven. There's a real throne in heaven. There's a real Shekinah glory in heaven. This is just the shadow. God, God just shed it, set it up just for a certain time to get us to the moment that he had established 
through his son. So Jesus comes, and Jesus becomes the great high priest. And he is not a man that he should lie. He was tempted in all ways, yet sinless. In other words, he was clean. Unlike any other priest, he was clean. And he also became for us our sacrifice. He was the perfect, spotless lamb of God, slain at the foundation of the earth. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he carried his own blood because only his blood is worthy in heaven. No one else could make this sacrifice. No one else's blood was this valuable. It had to be the blood of the Son of God, and no one else could carry it. He had to do it himself. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. It is his blood, and he enters into the temple, but not the temple in Jerusalem, not, not the, the, the shadow. He enters into the heavenly realms the holy of holies, and he goes before the throne of God and he pours out his blood on the mercy seat. And at that moment, the curtain is rent on earth because access has been established again. Propitiation, forgiveness, grace runs from the mercy seat over all of eternity. Their children and their children's children, their sons and their daughters for all time, God has made a way where there was no way, and the curtain is torn, and it's as if God is in heaven saying, I'll leave the door open for you. You can come in whenever you want now. Not once a year, not one person, but anyone at any time has complete access to the presence of God. God says, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You used to not be able to do that, but Jesus has made a way where there was no way. He has done the impossible so that we could come close to God. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says about this. He says, therefore, brothers, since we now have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, through his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, these are all the things that I just described to you. The writer of Hebrews saying, because all of that happened, this is what we should do. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, we don't deserve it, but we can receive it because of what he did. And we can enter the holies of holies enter into his presence and commune with God. So what is God looking for after he did all of that? Well, it's clear. The response that God is looking for is closeness with his people. That's all he's looking for. Let us draw near. Let us come close. He's looking for closeness with his people. That's what God lost with Adam and Eve. God lost something too, not just us during that moment. God lost closeness with his creation, and that's all God wants back. He just wants to know you and be with you and commune with you and draw near to you. You know, like, he wants to reverse all of the things Adam did when he fell. God wants to reverse that now. When Adam fell, he hid himself. God says, don't hide anymore. When Adam fell, he covered up. God says, just come as you are. When, when Adam fell, he blame shifted everyone else, everything else. But God says, no, no, there's forgiveness. Come, repent, confess, be saved, be changed. God wants to reverse all the effects of sin on Adam. He wants to reverse it on your life. 
He wants to make the way open so that you don't have to be hidden. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to blame shift. You don't have to cover up. What can you do? You can walk with him again. You can walk with him again. Amen. You can begin a great journey. You can begin to walk the path. At first service, we heard a, a baptism, a young man named Preston. He said, I was gone from God for 10 years, but my wife was praying for me, and I came back to church, and he said, today, as I'm being baptized, I'm going to take my first step on the journey of faith again. That's what God wants. God says, come back. Come be washed. And that's what God wants of us. But what happens when we lose our way? Because let's face it. Everyone that's walked with God for any number of times, uh, any number of years, the truth is there's going to be moments where you mess up, where you fail, where you fall short, where you get off the path of life. There's going to be moments when you lose your way. What happens when you lose your way? What do you do when you lose your way? When you begin to miss the voice of God and you begin to walk in your own direction, and you start taking back over the thing that you willingly gave to God. What happens when you start to lose your way? Well, one of the identifiers is you move from walking purposefully to wandering aimlessly. That's one of the indicators to know that you are drifting from God. You know, because a lot of times we use the word backsliding, but sometimes backsliding is very linear. Like, I'm doing good, I'm doing bad. I'm doing good, I'm doing bad. Moving forward, going back. But can I tell you, backsliding, really? It's more like wandering. Like you could still be around, but you're not on the path. You could still be moving, but you're not progressing. You're wandering. Like the people of Israel, they wandered for 40 years. 40 years of movement, but yet no promises. No land to call their own. And, and, and what the enemy wants to do is he wants to move you from walking to wandering. And he, here's why it's so sneaky. It's so subtle. Oh, it's so subtle. You know, like, like when you take one step off the path, no one knows. No one knows when you ignore the voice of the Lord. No one knows when you do your own thing. No one knows when you kind of act out in the flesh. Nobody knows, especially right at the beginning, when you take only you and only God. And sometimes we like to convince ourselves that we don't even know. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? One step off the path. You say, well, no one told me. Well, no one can even tell. Yeah. It's not until like you're off the path, covered in vines, in quicksand, and you're like, help. Everyone's like, hey, are you doing all right? Do you need prayer? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Now, you, you have to watch your life closely, the Bible says, because it's very subtle to move from walking to wandering. But when you're walking, you have purpose. When you're walking with God, you have a direction that you're headed towards. Can I even tell you about this? This is a great aspect. When you're walking with God, there's a pace and a rhythm to your walk. Like God is so good. He sets up signs and seasons. He, he gives a, a rhythm to your walk. There's grace in your walk. It's not that you're not going to walk through some valleys. It's not that you're not going to walk through some difficulties. But God's going to walk with you. God's going to comfort you. God's going to help you. When you're walking with God, it's not that there's no difficulty, but there is There is his help along the way. He says, take up your cross, but then he also shoulders the cross with you. There's a rhythm, there's a pace walking with God. And it's not that you don't bear some burdens, 
but you never have to bear them alone if they're the burdens placed on you by God. And what I love about God is he won't, he, he truly won't give you burdens that will crush you. This is true about God. Like God doesn't let one hurricane come right after a tornado that comes right after an earthquake. That's not God. God might say, hey, a hurricane's coming, hunker down, get ready, but then there's gonna be a season of rebuilding and you're gonna come back stronger. God, God lets you go through some things, but what I know about him is he doesn't let you go through everything. If you go through some things, but not everything. I don't know. I feel like I should move on from this point, but I, I, I'm telling you, you got to get this. Because there's going to be moments where you feel like, I can't do this. But the truth is, if you're walking with God, by definition, you can. If you're walking with God, you can make it through. Wandering, that's got no pace. That's filled with apathy or laziness. It's halt halting in its approach. You're doing good one week, bad one year, good two days, bad two decades. It's all over the place. It's out of control because God's not in that. You've walked. You've walked away. But when you're walking with, there's a grace on your pace. Amen? Can you imagine with me? Because this is... This is True, this is what God wants to do. He wants to walk the path of life with you. But can you imagine with me that there's a, a specific path that God has for you? And it's the path of your life. And God comes to you and he says to you, I want to walk this path of life with you. Will you take this journey with me? And we're going to begin in the fields of forgiveness. And of course, when you first get saved, you're filled with joy. You know, we're gonna begin in the fields of forgiveness, but, but, but we're gonna walk through some difficult things together on this journey of life. Will you walk with me? But here's the rules. There's three rules on walking this path of life with God. The first is that God quietly gives directions. Still, small voice. And he's not going to change the way that he gives directions. The Bible says in Isaiah that God will walk behind you and he, his, you will hear his voice behind you telling you not to the right or to the left, but this is the way, walk ye in it. He will speak to you and he will direct you. That's the first rule. The second rule of God walking with you on the path of life is that God will not force you to follow him. You have your free will. And the third rule is that God will not follow you. God won't force you to follow him but God's not following you because God will remain true to himself despite whatever we do. So these are the three rules that God sets up and say, now we're going to take this journey together. I'm going to speak to you, give directions. I'm not going to force you to follow me, but I'm not going to follow you. So if you want to walk with me, let's walk together. Now imagine you begin walking down the path of life. You leave the field of forgiveness and you begin the journey of faith. As you walk down this path with life, with God for a while, eventually you'll come to a, a spot of temptation. If you look off the side, you'll see an island, and it's called Pleasure Island. And it's a, it's a, a theme park filled with fun stuff for grown-ups. And you tell God, God, I, I want to go there. It's wild. Do you hear all that music? And you hear like... It's like, look, look at that. God says, that's not, that's not for us right now. Come on, let's stay on this path of life. But you say, but God, they've got a new roller coaster. It's called Relationship Roller Coaster. And I want, I want to go on this roller coaster with Allison. And God says, you know, I know Allison. 
I don't think she's the one for you. God, are you, well, why, come with us, God. Come with us, go on this roller coaster. And God says, that cart is made for two. There's no room for me in the Holy Spirit on that roller coaster. Well, we're going, God, we're going. You know what? Will you just come? No, I'll wait here. All right, then hold my stuff. Hold my stuff, all right? And you go on this ro- ro- relationship roller coaster and up, down, loop to loops. You get off this roller coaster, dizzy. Someone's thrown up. I don't know if it was you or Allison, but you lost your shirt. You come back to God, you know. You try and escape Pleasure Island without becoming a donkey. You come back to God and you say, God, I don't think I should have gone there. And God says, you ready to keep walking or you have any other ideas? And you say, well, let's get going. God goes, where's Allison? I left her back there. Well, she left me, but, you know, I, I'm going to tell everyone I left her. God says, come, come on. <laughs> come back on the path of life. And God's graceful, and he's, he's so good. He'll forgive you. and say, are you ready? Let's start again. And you walk with God for a, a little while longer, and eventually you'll come up to a place called Shady Acres. It's, it's deep down in the valley, you know. It says, come rest here. Come live here. And you say, God, look down there, though. It looks like there's a lot of opportunity. There's some nice homes. I see some people down there. I can't really, I can't really tell. It's just a lot of silhouettes. and like very, It does seem shadowy, but, but it just looks like, looks like I could rest down there. God, can we, just, can, we go, can we go live? Can we just wait, rest, go live down in Shady Acres? And God says, I've got a better location for you to live your life. And I, how about instead we walk in the light? He said, but God, I want to go rest in the shade. No, let's walk in the light. And, and if you're not careful, and if you don't listen to that still small voice, you're going to get off the path and you're going to go down and live in shady acres. And, and maybe you're down there for three, four years and you're making business deal with, with shady people and you're, 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 you're getting involved in shady business and, you, and you're, you're living a shady life and now you become a shady person. And you come back to God years later and you say, God, um, that, was, that was a mistake. I lost my car. I lost my home. I lost my spouse. I lost everything. You know what? The people down there, they were shady. There was no love. There was no generosity. There was no honesty. There was no truth. I was trying to make a buck because I thought it would be easier. But in the end, it took much more from me than it gave me. And God says, you want to keep walking on the path of life? but you got to stay in the light. You want to keep going? And however long it takes you to get back to him is how long it takes you to get back to him. Because I think a lot of times people think eventually God will give in and he'll move into shady acres, but that's not him. He will not follow you. You've got to choose to follow him. And if you continue down this path long enough, eventually you'll come to cross crossroads. And at this place, you'll have to make a choice. Do you go down Redemption Road towards the celestial city? Or do you, take, do you take the simple shortcut? Do you take the easy way? And, and one road, the redemption road, it's narrow and it's tough and it, there's, it, 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 there's, it's hilly and there's potholes. It's like 146. It's... <laughs> and you look and you say, I don't know if I wanna go down there. And then if you look off to the side on simple shortcut, it looks easy, it looks well-maintained, beautiful. Five-lane highway, it looks like you're driving in Florida. 
sunny. <laughs> but the only, the only thing is that road has a cost. It has tolls. And every time you go through a toll, you have to give the coin of compromise. Road, Redemption Road is free, but difficult. But the, but the simple shortcut has a cost. And every time you... You go through one of those tolls, it, 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 it says, okay, this compromise, I need some of your innocence. Needs to compromise some of your innocence. So the, the next toll is you have to compromise some of your integrity. If you said you want the easy way, it's easier this way, but it costs, costs you something. The problem is what they don't tell you is that simple shortcut eventually turns into prodigal path. And what once was broad and wide starts getting smaller and dirtier and and all of a sudden, you're walking this thing alone, and the last toll is your inheritance. What you got from your father. And the end of that path, you find a farm and a pigsty. And the farmer says, boy, I've been waiting for you. Pig's out back. And you have to decide in that moment, is this my new life? Or do I go back to the crossroads? Do I remember the father? And do I make a different choice? The Bible says this in Matthew. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I hope you're part of the few. I hope you're part of the few. I say, Lord, I'll give everything. I'll walk difficult paths as long as you walk with me. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no shortcut. There's only one way. And there's only one path. And there's only one man that is access. And you and I are called to walk in the way. Jesus talks to his disciples about what it's going to be like at the end times. And he says, in the end of days... The people in the society, it's actually going to be like it was in the days of Noah. In other words, we're going to go, we're going to go full circle. And, and what we know about the days of Noah is that people were completely and totally, totally wicked. The Bible actually says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, you could call, call it postmodernism. There was no truth. There was no morality. There was no integrity. How dare you even say a certain thing is right or wrong? In other words, everyone took their own path. Everyone had their own way. And, and God says, no, this is wicked and this is wrong. And he says, this is so wrong and so irredeemable. I'm going to wipe, I'm going to wipe humanity off the face of the earth. I'm going to start fresh. And there's only going to be one family that I choose to redeem. Only one family gets redemption. It's the family of Jesus Christ. He chooses Noah. But the the amazing thing is Noah preached. Anyone could join this family. Anyone. For 120 years, Noah preached. God gave Noah the instructions on how to build the ark. And it's through this ark that they were going to be ferried to rescue. But when God gave him the instructions, he said, now only build one door in the ark. 450-foot boat. You need to get a lot of animals in. Logically, there'd be more than one door. But God says, no, no, I'm doing something. One door. One way into salvation, one way into rescue, one way, one door. Jesus comes later, he says, I am the door. And then he also says, and this ark, this boat, I want you to build it with three levels on it. Three levels. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You enter in through Jesus into the place of God, and you are brought through the waters of death into brand new life. That's baptism. This is what God, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I am the way in, and I'm the way through. You've got to enter the ark through the door, and then in the ark, God will bring you through the waters of death. And then you will receive your place of life. Jesus is the only way. He's, he's the checkpoint. The cross is the checkpoint of all of creation. And if you want to get access to God, you've got to go through that checkpoint. There's only one. In post-World War II, Berlin was split in half. The Soviets took the East, and America and the Allies took the West. Of course, under the Soviets, there was extreme tyranny, extreme poverty, extreme brokenness, and anti-religion. The, re the West was free, and it was open. And so people were going in droves to get into West Berlin and, and get into West Germany. But the, um, the Russians built a, a checkpoint, and they built a, a wall, and there was only one way through, and it's called Checkpoint Charlie. And if you wanted to get from tyranny and brokenness into a place of freedom, you had to go through that one checkpoint. And at that checkpoint, they would check your credentials. Do you have access from a higher authority than yourself? There's only one way into freedom. There's only one way into heaven, and the cross is the checkpoint. And you come before the cross, and this is what, this is what the credentials are going to be. Do you believe in Jesus do you believe that he is the only son of God? Do you believe that he did the finished work on the cross? Have you received his sacrifice? And here's the last one. Are you marked by his blood? That's what, that's what eternity is going to check before you gain access into heaven. And my question today to all of you that are in this place is have you been following him? Have you believed in him? Have you confessed his name? Because without Jesus, there is no access to God Almighty. And Jesus is the way to God. He is the only way to God. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes if you're here and you know today, maybe you walked with him at one point, but you have gotten off the path. Maybe you've gotten stuck in a life of hedonism in Pleasure Island or a life of nihilism in Shady Acres. Maybe you're, you're lost and you're wandering. Maybe, maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you're stuck at the checkpoint and you want to enter into life. You want to enter into freedom, but you don't know even the way. This sermon is for you today. Jesus says, I am the way. And if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Access will be opened and you will begin to, you will be allowed to enter into eternity with Jesus Christ. If you're here and you know today you need to change your walk and you need to begin to begin the journey of the path of faith with Jesus. If that's you and you want me to pray with you, we just lift your hands, say, that's me. I want to pray that prayer of salvation right now. I see your hands. I see your hands. There's so many different hands going up. I see them all. I see them. It's, I see them. It's awesome. 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 I want you to know it's not going to be my, by my prayer, my power. It's your confession in the blood of Jesus stamps those credentials that when you get before the pearly gates of heaven you can show the blood of jesus they'll check your name 
We'll find your name in the Lamb's book of life and you will gain access. Why? Because he made a way where there was no way. We just pray with me, all those that lifted their hands and the whole church here, just say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. Be my Lord and God and I will follow you for all of my days. Today I accept you and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Awesome, awesome. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, we're cheering because we know that you made the greatest decision of your life and you're beginning a brand new journey. And, and I, wanna, I just want to say this to you that prayed that prayer. Forget the former things. It doesn't matter how it happened before. You're on a new path and a new walk. And I believe your walk with Jesus is going to be radically different. I would encourage you to get a Bible, begin to read the Word. It's your guidebook. I'd encourage you to find someone that's further down on this path. Tell them that you, told, that you made this decision. And the final thing is I would encourage you, 52-week challenge. Come to church every Sunday for a whole year. I believe you will be radically changed by the end of that year. How many people can testify? That's what's happened to me. Amen? Amen, amen. Hey, listen, before we go, I just want to give us a little bit of a moment to respond. And I want to challenge the saints in this place. If as I spoke, if you felt convicted, maybe the Holy Spirit says, hey, you've walked off the path. At this moment on this day, you can go right back to where you left Jesus and pick right back up. He doesn't shame. He doesn't guilt. He doesn't condemn. He says, my son, my daughter, I've been waiting for you. Come on, let's walk together. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.